Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The first reading this morning can be found on page 642 of the Church Bibles, Proverbs chapter 9, beginning to read at verse 7, page 642. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. The second reading will be found on page 1044, Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Page 1044. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. This is the word of the Lord. Remain standing and we'll pray together. Father, we thank you for your written word and we pray that by your spirit you will make that word live to our hearts and give us grace to obey it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Some time ago I looked up in the longer Oxford Dictionary, uh, uh, the word twicer. 
Uh, did you know the word twice? It occurs, and apparently it's got something to do with printers and compositors, but it's also there to do with those who attend morning and evening service in church. So we're, we're a kind of a rare bird, we twicers, and I mention that because um, I'm going to deal with the theme of mocking today. I seem to be the expert on mockery because two weeks ago in the evening I had to do a similar passage from Psalm 1. And there will be those amongst you who are the rare bird, are twice as, and you may have been here two weeks ago. If not, let me just sort of lead you so that we can turn to Proverbs chapter 9. For we were two weeks ago in Psalm 1. We're doing Psalms in the evening, Proverbs in the, after, in, in the morning, and uh, we who come on occasion to preach are looking across the two. And in Psalm chapter 1, we saw how you move from being wicked to being sinners to being mockers. And uh, you walk and you stand and you sit and you get closer. And I remember I used the illustration of Lot, hence I, my introduction today. Lot, who was the nephew of Abraham, was... Uh, living towards near Sodom, which was in its day a symbol of evil. Sodomy was the word for homosexual practice before we became more polite. And that was the kind of thing that happened very much in Sodom. And Lot pitched his tent toward it. He wanted the joy and the wealth of it, but he didn't want to be compromised. But very slowly he gets sucked into the city we then find that he's one of the leaders of the city and then eventually he's dragged out by the skin of his teeth and his wife will not leave. She turns back and turned into a pillar of salt and Jesus said, very simply, remember, Lot's wife. And so we saw uh, just two weeks ago the danger of that movement and we noticed that one of the things about Lot was that he was mocked when he tried to live in the land of Sodom as a godly person. Peter in the New Testament comments that Lot grieved his righteous soul from day to day and Lot knew what it was to suffer mockery because he tried to be a child of God but he failed miserably. And the challenge that comes to us in this passage in, back in Proverbs is that we are called out to be those who dare uh, to rebuke the mockers and to stand different. And in uh, Proverbs 9, please turn back to that uh, page 642. I've got the bit in, that, in between, the call of wisdom and the call of folly. And you get this uh, reminder of the challenge to us to watch out for mockers. The title today is Mockers and Gossips. I must confess, I didn't find the gossips, and I'm sure they are also a, a difficult breed. If you find gossips in here, tell me where they are. But I do find mockers, and I want to see how that differentiates itself from the wisdom. Just look at chapter 9 of Proverbs, and it follows a remarkable chapter 8, where chapter 8 is a picture of our Lord himself, the second person, the Trinity, wisdom. Just glance across to chapter 8. I was appointed from eternity, verse 23. When there was no oceans, I was given birth. And the whole picture, verse 30, I was the craftsman at his side. It is a picture of our Lord himself, the second person of the Trinity. And Paul, in the New Testament, talks about Jesus as Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So when this morning we look at wisdom, just have in your mind the supreme picture of our Lord who is ultimate wisdom. 
in my previous church in Edinburgh, uh, for quite a while, we always had an anthem in the morning service. Do you remember days when they sang anthems in church? All part of uh, church life. The old prayer book, in fact, I little know, which says, in choirs and places where they sing, here followeth the anthem. I was intrigued about that one. Can't imagine there being places where they do not sing, but apparently there were. And in choirs and places where they sing, here followeth the anthem. And I remember he, he used to have long anthems, our organist, bless him. And we had one anthem which kept on asking the question from Job 28, where, where shall wisdom be found? If you know the anthem, where, where shall wisdom be found? Don't you dare mention it to me. I had enough of it. It went on and on and on. And I wanted to stand up and say, I think I can give you the answer if you don't stop asking the question, where shall wisdom be found? And it's found in our Lord. And in chapter 9 of Proverbs, it's actually seen as the opposite to folly I'm doing a little bit in between Andrew's been looking at wisdom and folly and their call just notice the difference verse 5 of chapter 9 a lovely word from wisdom let all who are simple come in here come eat my food leave your simple ways walk in the way of understanding that's one voice then comes the word of folly in verse 13 and the woman's folly is loud, undisciplined. It's all very exciting, but please note at the end, little do they know that the dead are there, that our guests are in the depths of the grave. And uh, the challenge is that in the middle of all that, we are called to live lives of wisdom. We are meant to be wise. When I was doing, this is my last reference to Twicers. For those who were in the evening, uh, we looked at the wise man building his house on the rock, and I remember David Pettersham, I used to play on the organ, that chorus, the old chorus, the wise man built his house. You remember the old chorus, which gets it the wrong way around, doesn't it? When you sing, if you remember the old chorus, uh, I'm almost tempted to get you to sing it for him, but no, I won't. If you remember the old chorus, the exciting house is the one that falls down. The wise man built his house upon the rock, he's all very dull. But the kids are encouraged when the... When the the foolish man built his house on the sand. You clap your hands, you stamp your feet, you get very excited. So the wrong message gets across. But it's the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the challenge is we are called to be wise when wisdom is under attack. Recently, I've been having withdrawal symptoms because the Keswick Convention's been on. And year after year after year, I was with the, we were with the thousands at Keswick. I was chairman for a number of years, and so I always got a kind of withdrawal symptom. And one of the uh, preachers at Keswick Convention with me was a, a gentleman called Dick Lucas, who's even older than I am. There aren't many left in the world older than I am, but he is. And uh, I recollect that Dick and I used to do meetings together at Keswick, and he, on one occasion, was deliberately trying to get us used to words. He was tired of people who were proud to be agnostic. And he was telling the story of this man who always said, well, Mr. Lucas, I'm really an agnostic. And he was proud of his state. And so Dick thought he would gently tone him down a bit. So he said, do you know what the word, what the word agnostic, where did it come from? Yes, yes, but he didn't really. Agnostic is from the Greek. And there's a Latin equivalent to the Greek agnostic. Do you know what the Latin equivalent is, sir? No, I don't think I do. The Latin equivalent is ignoramus. So there you are. If you... <laughs> quite true and if you want if we the lord doesn't want you to be either an agnostic or an ignoramus he wants you to be wise and the challenge of our passage this morning is how we can be wise with the wisdom of god 
Two simple thoughts this morning. I used to have three points always, but I'm getting old. Two simple points. Wisdom under attack. Wisdom under scrutiny. Wisdom under attack, first of all, in our world. This mockery that is talked about in these verses is as old as Scripture. Genesis chapter 3, mockery started. When Satan said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, don't you believe God when he says if you eat that tree you won't live? Don't trust him. And he brings mockery into the world. And in a way he was right. And of course deeply he was wrong. They did go on living up to a fashion. But they mocked God. Or in the psalm. Psalm 14 says. The fool hath said in his heart. There is no God. And uh, the the challenge of of our world. Is that if we're not careful. We follow the way of the world. Wisdom's always under attack in our world. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And way back when we saw, uh, two weeks ago in the evening, we saw how it moved on with Lot uh, and the story of Sodom, that he was rescued from a world in which he, he was mocked because he didn't follow their way. When I hear our coalition telling us that we've got to accept same-sex marriage, we've got to move on, and there's a kind of mockery about those who live in the world which still thinks that's wrong, still thinks sex is for man and wife, male and female, and we are, have to be prepared to be mocked by a world which says, do you know the phrase I hear? We're told to live in the real world, or that awful phrase, <clears throat> here's the mockery, Get a life. Have you heard that awful phrase? Get a life. And we want to suggest that the real world is the world, if you're reading Proverbs in chapter 8, it's, it finishes with the great picture of life and blessing. And chapter 9 ends with the awesomeness of the ways of death. And so the real world, the world that God made, uh, will, always, is, will be mocked and always has been mocked and we have to be willing to take our stand. Christian morals are now outdated, get real. And we want to say that is the real world, in our world. But secondly, wisdom's under attack very often in our mind. If you go on in the way that uh, Folly tells us at the end of chapter 9, eventually it will be the depths of the grave to which we go. And we get that way as we go on making wrong choices. And... uh, Because most of us like a quiet life, we don't rebuke mockery. We don't obey our text. We don't correct a mocker because we don't like insult. We don't rebuke a wicked man because we don't want abuse. Have you come across that awful phrase, the silent majority? The silent majority, what we are supposed to believe. And it's about time the silent majority dared to stand up, speak up, and be counted it only needs good people to keep silent for evil to spread and in our mind mockery in our mind wisdom is under attack because you see we don't like to give the impression of being holier than thou so we don't condemn mockers we don't condemn the wicked we don't because well it's being judgmental and sometimes the Bible's quoted back at us. You don't be judgment, math, judgmental. Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged, is often quoted at us. Matthew 7, verse 1. 
just move five verses on. And in Matthew 7, verse 6, words from Jesus, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't give to dogs what is sacred. Isn't that being judgmental? Swine? Dogs? Daring to suggest that there are people in the world who are not going God's way and not being judgmental doesn't mean to say that we should assume all ways are good. We must be ready to speak out if we care about the world in which we live. I don't, I do have a, a machine that can produce internet, but I have no idea what to do with it. Uh, so internet and I are, keep well away from each other. But I do know that you can, uh, there's been a great argument about pornography on the internet and that children, it should be barred so that children can't see it. And the argument then is about freedom, freedom to do. So we must allow people to push their pornography across our internet so that people, if they wish, can be free to look at it. That's the sort of world in which we live. That freedom of speech is seen to be more important than truth or morality. And therefore, we as Christians, in our mind, there will be an attack on us if we do seem to give the impression that we are holier than thou. Please dare to speak up, to stand up and be counted. Wisdom under attack. We owe it to the next generation. We owe it to our young people. We owe it to our society. Wisdom under attack. Then secondly, more importantly, as we think about coming to communion soon, wisdom under scrutiny. The great verse in this passage back in uh, Proverbs 9 is verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's a verse that comes earlier in chapter 1 and verse 7. It's the key to the whole of the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we want to be wise, we cannot be wise and leave God out of account. You see, we can be clever without God. We cannot be wise. I, I, I gather it's a time when exam results will be coming out soon, and I hesitate not, not to get involved too much in cleverness and wisdom. Those of us who do remember the bad old days, when exam results came out, certainly in my school, we had to walk to school, we had to stand up in the big hall, and the headmaster, with cap and gown, went to the front and read out the, uh, the, the results, the exam results, in alphabetical order. And so you, you waited for that awesome moment. Mercifully, hacking comes fairly early on in the alphabet, so I was relieved reasonably early. That was the way we got exam results in those days. But I do want to suggest to you that the fear of the Lord is not the beginning of cleverness. You can do very well in A-levels and O-levels and still not be wise, you can be one of those who has an academic qualification and be very wise. And the challenge is uh, the birth of wisdom. Its birth and its behavior. Its birth is the fear of the Lord. Did you notice in that passage which read in Luke chapter 12, where Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body, but fear those who can kill both body Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. At this moment in time, in many parts of the Middle East, there are people who suffer the possibility that they will be killed for their faith 
And as we worship in comfort here, many of them are being killed for their faith. We're living in that world today. today. But the reminder is that there's an awesomeness greater. When Bishop Latimer, the great Bishop of the Reformation, was uh, daring to speak out for the truth, there was that great moment when Bishop Latimer uh, knew he had to say something to King Henry VIII to speak straight about his way of life. And Latimer had heard a voice in his mind saying, Latimer, Latimer, remember, you're in the presence of the king. So he was tempted to tone down what he was going to say to Henry VIII till the voice came the other side of, uh, of his brain saying, Latimer, Latimer, you're in the presence of the king of kings. So Henry VIII thought what was coming to him. Uh, after all, it mattered more what the king of kings would say on that final day of judgment. Do you ever stop and think? In order to be popular in our world, the important thing is not to seem to be too holy. In order to get on with our fellow men, let's tolerate everything. Let's live in the real world. Let's not give the impression that we dare to be different. When I was a kid, we sang a chorus, dare to be different. And well, it's even more true now than when I was a kid. So the challenge is that whose verdict do I bother about? What the King of Kings will say about my stand in these days for the gospel? What will he think about the way I stood for the one who dared to die on the cross for me? And I compromised because it was comfortable and easy. Friends, it's not just for the ones who speak in public like Paul and I have to do. It's for all of us who have the ear of friends and neighbours in a world where this is talking point constantly. Do you dare to be different? Do you stop and think about the fear of the Lord and what it will mean? Well, that's how it comes. The fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. Then you get in verse 11 and 12, you get the, the behaviour. How we do behave if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's a reminder to us that uh, the way of living, verse 11, God's way is a way which will bring blessing. Now, you can't interpret verse 11 and 12 in a kind of plurality. That it's the Proverbs saying, if people, if nations, if society choose this way of wisdom, then there will be blessing, there will be prosperity, there will be long life. There is that sense in which it's true. And we desperately need in our society to make that case. But it's also true individually that if we want to live the life that is good, life more abundant, as John 10 talks about it, then uh, we've choices to make. But verse 12 is a key verse. Verse 12 suggests that the way of wisdom is the way of a wisdom or the way of mockery is not just affecting other people, it affects you. Just uh, glance over to chapter 10, verse 1. It is true that wisdom affects others. A wise son brings joy to his father, a foolish son grief to his mother. Inevitably, wisdom and folly affects family, affects friends, affects other people. But verse 12 is saying it, it affects us. Our wisdom or our mockery affects the way we live. So Galatians 6 says, whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Galatians 6 will remind us that ultimately we bear our own load. We are responsible for the way we live. The world will pressurize us, but we can choose. 
And if we want to have a life that is worthwhile, we have to choose the way of wisdom and not choose the way of mockery. For the fate of the foolish, in verse 18, is pretty grim. It's the exact opposite at the end of chapter 8, verse 20, verse 35, where finds me, finds life. That is wisdom and favor from the Lord. And the challenge is that we should choose wisely. And if we choose wisely, we shall find blessing. When I did preach on that evening, I hope you get the message. There's a lot to be said for being a twice. So I, I recommend it. You know, I'm not suggesting the Bible says we should all go to church twice on a Sunday, but uh, I can recommend it. Uh, I had to do. When I was vicar of this place, like Paul, I not only came to church twice, I came four times. When it was early communion as well, so we, we knew what it was to spend the day in church. I used to come by in the morning with a, with a flask of coffee and an apple. I, I, I was there virtually all day living off my flask of coffee and an apple while the services rolled out. But now in retirement, I don't have to do that kind of thing. But I do recommend the twicing because we benefit from God's word in a busy life. It's good to be able to stop and listen. But the wise man, the wise woman, is a person who is prepared to build their house on the rock and not on the sand. But please notice, it's not the bad or good, it's the wise or the foolish. Remember another story of Jesus, not only the story of the wise man building his house on the rock. Remember another chapter where Jesus talks about wise and foolish in Matthew 25? The contrast between... uh, The wise bridesmaids and the foolish bridesmaids, the wise bridesmaids who brought the oil in their lamp and they were waiting, they got reserves of oil in case and they were ready. And uh, I always like that story. During my ministerial lifetime, I waited for brides who were late fairly frequently. I actually started 58 years ago this month waiting for wives who were late. 58 years ago on August the 20th, it was the 27th, 1955, Margaret arrived half an hour late for the wedding. I always remember that. I was stood there waiting, waiting, waiting. So I was well trained. I must say, just in case I'm in trouble over lunch and I get bread and cheese, uh, I, I better say, of course, she was worth waiting for, obviously. <laughs> that goes without saying, doesn't it? Obviously. But ever since then, it was the, here in the Bible, it's the bridegroom who kept them waiting. And the ones who had the power were wise and the other were foolish. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 25? You know not the day nor the hour. Watch. Be ready. He comes anytime. I, my predecessor but two in this parish was a gentleman who apparently was a great preacher about the second coming. He was always reminding people about the second coming. A very commendable thing to do. And I remember visiting a lady across the road from us in Chorley Drive who'd moved into her house when this gentleman was the vicar. And he knocked on the door to welcome her. And while still on the doorstep, this is, this is a challenge to people like Paul and myself, uh, on the doorstep, the second question was, my dear, uh, what would you do if you thought the Lord Jesus Christ was coming back today? Now, I must confess, I've never risen to those heights. Second question to anybody visiting knew, but he did. And she said, 30-odd years later when I visited, she said to me, do you know, I often wonder, did I say the right thing to him? Well, I said, what did you say to him? What did I say to him? I think I'd just go on doing what I'm doing now. Is that all right? Was that all right? Well, I said it depended on what you were doing then, but it was all right. 
sure. But if you were in fact uh, being a good wife and a good mother, yes, that's fine. Can I challenge you? If I had the courage of my predecessor but two, and I asked you what you, would you do if you knew the Lord Jesus Christ might return today, would he actually ask you to do some changes in your life? To get ready to meet him? Give, do changes in your attitude to God? In your attitude to others? For that is the challenge. It's the challenge uh, to be ready to meet him. I am intrigued as I finish with this thought. If you invite the old vicar back, and you never should admit to reminiscence, you've got to put up with that, but never mind. For those who are visitors and haven't a clue about this church, just forget the reminiscence and realise we are a good, happy family uh, here in this church. Uh, and uh, in that Matthew 25, that reminder of not knowing the day or the hour, there's another story. There's a story of the, the servants who had a job to do and had to get on with the job because the boss was going to come back and they knew not when he would come back. So the wise ones, the wise ones got on with the job. I want to challenge all of us in the light of uh, the challenge about wisdom, wisdom under scrutiny, the wise person gets on with the job while we've time. We do not know the day nor the hour. First, make sure we're ready to meet him. Then secondly, like those servants, make sure we get on with the job. And I do finish with a thought of mockery. An illustration, again, from the past, but I, I hope it helps. I'm normally not reasonably inarticulate, but I remember a most inarticulate moment in my life when I had to stand up in front of the synod in the, this diocese and uh, commend Billy Graham, who was coming in 1985. Now, uh, you, you, you perhaps would not be surprised, but you should be surprised to believe that was one of the most difficult jobs I ever had to do. The mockery of my fellow, fellow clergy to this man, this fundamentalist, this Billy Graham, to dare to stand up and commend him, I, I found very difficult. I wasn't very articulate. And I remember, and I say it with great thanksgiving, uh, Ian Topham, a uh, faithful servant who wasn't a great talker about the gospel, but he stood by me. He made it quite clear he was with me through and through. And uh, we wouldn't have Peter Collier here today reading this lesson if we hadn't made a stand for Billy Graham, for Peter and Janet, both came through Billy Graham eventually and through the life of the church. So I'm glad I did stand up and take the flack. But it is a reminder to us that mockery comes from the most unusual place. Take a stand for the gospel and you won't always be popular, not even sometimes amongst people you think ought to be your friends. But the challenge is that as we contemplate the hour in which we live, and the world, the attack on wisdom, the mockery there is. God give us grace not to be ashamed of the gospel. And first of all, to be sure that we trust that gospel of which we're not ashamed. And as you come to the Lord's table today, please, not just a little ritual going through what we do from time to time. Or if you're new and it's a strange ritual, just remember all we're doing is we're remembering one who was mocked more than I ever will be, who when he was hanging on the cross, which he died for my, my sins, they said, he saved others, come on. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. He went through that mockery to give me eternal life. The least I can do is not to be ashamed of the gospel.
I hope I never have been. I hope I never shall be. I hope you never will be. And as you take communion today, remember what mockery he went through so that you could do the simple fact of taking bread and wine and the stupendous act of giving your lives to the one who, through his death, gives eternal life. God bless you.